seated. Briefly, okay? Maybe. So exciting. Uh, so the beginning of Hebrews, this is a, an extended, probably a sermon. Uh, and there's an argument that could be made that Hebrews really is the, uh, the theological heartbeat of the New Testament. People want to make it Romans. Romans is awesome. But there's so much meat on the bone in the book of Hebrews. But he big, begins out with chapter 1 ex, ex, just demonstrating the ex, excellent, excelling nature of Jesus the Son. The Son, the, the eternal Son of God. I mentioned this on Wednesday night, uh, which we, we will have Wednesday night again. We've been meeting in the conference room. Uh, there won't be kids. There won't be youth. But if you are all free, if we, if we run out of room down there, we'll come up here. We've just been doing some, some Advent uh, reflections this month. And we'll get back to some stuff in January. But don't worry about that right now. But that I, I read the study, I mentioned this Wednesday night, I read this, this study recently, or I saw the, the blurb of it, that it was something like, and my, my stats aren't exactly right, but something like 61% of evangelicals, however they define that word these days, uh, 61% of evangelicals believe that, uh, that Jesus the Son did not exist before his birth. You get what I'm saying? That they believe that that when Jesus was born, the Son of God was born and came into existence. And that's called an ancient heresy called Arianism. Or it's probably more complicated than that. But that's not true. Can we go there? I won't call you a heretic if you, uh, if you believe that. But church history calls you one. Um, and I mean, and, but in all seriousness, like you need to repent. Uh, because... Uh, God, after he spoke long ago, is now speaking in these last days to his son so that in Jesus Christ, as he has been revealed to us in the New Testament, the word of God become flesh. This is the pinnacle of God's self-disclosure. This is the pinnacle of God's revelation of himself. Uh, that if you were to read John chapter 1, the word becomes flesh and dwells among us. Chapter verse 16, that's verse 14, verse 16. From him we received grace upon grace. Verse 18, that God, the only, the only begotten God or the only begotten Son, he has explained the Father. That in Jesus, the revelation of God, where God is making himself known, reaches its climax. What that means is that we don't need further witness. We don't need the Book of Mormon, which is exactly what they're saying happens with, the, with Joseph, Joseph Smith. We, we, don't, we don't need further books. We don't need further revelation. God has spoken in these last days, meaning there aren't days afterward. In these last days, he's spoken to us in his son. Okay? And he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds or, or literally is upholding ING present tense verb. I've drank a lot of coffee today, so y'all be prepared. <laughs> he is, he's upholding. There is never a moment in the history of galaxies and universes in the universe that Jesus has ceased, the sun ceased to uphold the universe by the word of his power. If there is a universe, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. If there is a universe that exists, it exists and continues to exist, not because of some laws of nature, but because of the upholding word of Christ's power. And what I want is before we get to the 
little baby in the manger, that we get a, a dose of Christology, a dose of God the Son in all of his wonder, so much as we can take it. The exact representation of God's nature is in the Son. And he is begotten eternally from the Father. There is no time in time and space where God the Son did not exist. He has always been and will always be. God has always, and and our words fail us, but God has all before time, before let there be light, before all that stuff in the beginning, God existed in Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Today you are my son. Today I have begotten you. God's today is an eternal today. He never has the sun set on his day because he does not experience time like we do. I will be a father to him and he shall be a son to me. And then verse six, he brings the firstborn into the world, which is what we're talking about this time of year. He brings the only begotten into the world. He's not only begotten in Mary. He's only begotten in eternity. And let all the angels, when when the the firstborn comes into the world, he's born there. And let all of the angels of God worship him. Hark the herald angels. That's what we just sang about. All the angels worship him. And he says, he doesn't even compare. He is not on the stratosphere of existence of angels. Angels can't compare to him. Angels, good, bad, and ugly, can't compare to him, including Satan. There's there's nothing that exists that's on par with him. On par of excellence and of being and of greatness and of glory. There's, There's nothing and no one. Makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. And then he says, of the son, your throne is forever. You're the king. Jesus, the son, is the king. The king of all. In the beginning, you, you laid the foundation of the earth. He's quoting all of these psalms. Saying that the son is the king. And the son is the one who laid the foundation of the earth. That he was the, the if you will, the means by which the father creates in Proverbs chapter 8. All of these things will pass away, but you will remain the same. This is the bookends of the book of Hebrews, by the way. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. Same thing being said here in the very beginning of the book. Everything will burn up. This should kind of count how you uh, consider the materialism of our present age. All of the things that we're floundering over as a culture will be burnt up and Jesus will remain. And those who are Jesus's will remain with him. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool of footstool for your feet? Jesus is the reigning, the son is the king, and he is ascended to the right hand, and he's reigning, currently reigning. Okay, all of that, that was really like shotgun, buckshot, birdshot, turkey shot, whatever you got. It rhymed. Uh, All of that, okay? Awesome. in, In the full blossoming definition of the word awesome, awesome. 
We kind of throw that around. I'm guilty of that as well. But all sum, all full, and full of all, full of glory. And I'll consider chapter 2. I didn't read this. But entering into Jesus' humiliation or him, him humbling himself. So you have just, but I want you to have this, this load of glory. C.S. Lewis would have, he wrote an a, a essay called The Weight of Glory. I want you to have the weight of the glory of the eternal Son of God come to bear on how you see and experience Christmas. Because if just, just a sweet little baby in the manger, it ain't going to change your life. But if this is God incarnate, then he demands your worship. And he not only demands your worship, but here, look at what he has done. Verse 14 of chapter 2 of Hebrews. Therefore, since the children, these are the children given to the Son by the Father in verse 13 of chapter 2. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. When did that happen? Not, not a gotcha question. When did the son share in flesh and blood like those he came to save? It's Christmas. It's at the incarnation. This is that he took on flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He put partook of that which we were saddled with, so to speak, flesh and blood. For what reason? Now, just consider who we're talking about. I can't get over it. I don't want to get over it. Consider who we're talking about. This is the one. He is the irradiance of the glory of God, the exact representation of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. He's seated in heaven, uh, ruling. He's the, the, the eternal son of God. He is the, the righteous reigning king. He is the one who laid the foundations of the earth. And yet he partook of flesh and blood to save those given to him by the father. That through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. So that Jesus, the eternal son, comes and takes on flesh and through his death neuters the powers and the principalities that mean us eternal damnation. That he might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. You could, as you come into Hebrews, be like, I could see how this is a sermon. Let me just read it to you. But he might free those who through fear of death. I want you to consider all of the ways, the, the, the anti-peace that you experience in this life. From small things like, I, you know, my, my knee's starting to hurt. I turn 40 next year and things hurt. Randomly, like this is, I feel like this isn't the way it's supposed to be. That's small, and it's, you know, some of you guys are, are down that road a little ways, and you know. You know where I'm going, just don't tell me, okay? I don't want to know. I don't want to know right now. Uh, <laughs> uh, but then the anti piece of the, the brokenness that we experience, if we just flip on the news, which that's a dangerous game these days, but, or the, the personal. Uh, the sicknesses we experience, the grief and the loss of losing people that we love. We could go on and on about what I'm calling anti-peace. 
And if, we're, if we begin to be honest with ourselves, it can breed a sense of dread. Something that I've had to, kind of, I have to speak this to. It's like, when's the other shoe going to drop? Who, who, who's going to go next? And as a, as a pastor, I'm like, I, I begin thinking, I, who, who am I going to have to bury next? And if, if I don't couch those things in Jesus and his gospel, that becomes dreadful and heavy. But Jesus came to free. It doesn't mean that there won't be any more funerals unless Jesus comes back right now, which would be awesome. For those of us who know him, that would be awesome. But it, but it means that in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of the darkness and the oppressiveness, and even as the adversary of Satan continues to prowl around, seeking whom he may devour, we can have full confidence that Christ has freed us from the fear of death. And as he has appeared once, Titus 2, 2.11, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men, teaching us to live a certain way, to believe a certain way, looking for the blessed appearing that we find ourselves between advents. The son has come and he has died. He has redeemed. He has shed his blood. He has beaten Satan's sin and death for everyone who would trust in him. And dear ones, we look to his coming again. His second advent, his second coming. And we have full confidence that at the second coming of Christ. He will come and gather his children home. But he will come and put down evil once and for all. Satan prowls around like a lion, but he's more like a rabid dog. And Christ the King will return and put him down. So this is a summons, one to faith, to trust. That we walk by faith and not by sight. We don't look to what we see, but we look to Jesus. It's a summons to hope. We hope love believes all things, hopes all things. We know that God is not done. And it's a summons to love. But while we wait, and even while we suffer, and even if we suffer at the hands of men for the cause of Christ, we're called to love. Because our Jesus came and freed us from the power of sin, freed us from the fear of death. And he is the rightful king of all. Let's pray. Thank, we, thank you, Father, for your mercy to us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That though we were dead in our sins and trespasses, following the course of this world, following the course of the prince of the power of the air, children of wrath, just like the rest, 
But God, being rich in mercy, with the great love with which he has loved us, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we have been saved. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are Lord above all. You are king. We pray, God, that you would summon in us as your spirit works. Faith would arise. Where you would pull us out of darkness. You would pull us out of despair. You would pull us away from fear. Of panic. Of lies. That surround us. And that we would rest upon Christ. Pray that you would stir in us just a wonder that you, the eternal Son of God, partook of flesh and blood, that you might free us and save us. How wonderful a truth. That everyone who believes upon this name of this Jesus will be saved. God, would you, some here today, even, who have not trusted, who have not believed, they've not followed, and they know it. They've gone through a million Christmases, seems like. Christmas services and Christmas stories. I pray that this Christmas is different. For this Christmas season is a season that they finally turn from themselves and their sin and trust in Jesus wholeheartedly. And that you would welcome them home to you. Pray that you'd build up the afflicted, those who are suffering or grieving and the This time of year stirs up both hope and joy, but it also stirs up a reminder of those who are not here. I pray that even in the midst of that grief, that you would meet the brokenhearted, that you would be near to the brokenhearted, that you give them hope and comfort and even joy. Father, have your way. Use this word for your name to build your church, further your kingdom. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.